for a few minutes. Open your Bibles with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's take up a closely related prophecy to that of Daniel chapter 7. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. In three major points, we have refuted preterism. The first point was the gospel declarations of events that are yet future have not been fulfilled and did not occur in 70 A.D., but are yet to occur. And I spent much time on that point. The second point was the timing phrases of the preterists are wrong. And they're proven wrong from the Bible by many different, in many different ways. And we prove them wrong. The third point was preterism refuted by Daniel. Now we get preterism refuted by Paul. Right here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The Thessalonians were concerned about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because the apostle had taught them extensively about it. If you read the first epistle, it has five chapters, and in every chapter there is a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a reference in the first chapter of the second epistle. So with all those references about the second coming, they had heard rumors that it was very imminent. And that would be unsettling. Now there's there's an aspect in which it wouldn't be unsettling. And when you read the Bible, you need to be very careful about how you read it. When the Bible says that the dead know nothing at all and are in darkness, what does that mean? Does that mean that heaven is a dark place and that we wander around as zombies up there not knowing anything? No, because it's only talking about the body, not about the spirit which goes to be with the Lord. Well, there are aspects that if you think the Lord is coming... Would you want to go to work tomorrow if you thought he was going to come this week? Or would you quit your job to stay at home and be reading and praying and fasting, waiting for the Lord to come? That's what the Corinthians were doing. They were wandering about from house to house and were not working. When you get to the third chapter of this epistle, it describes, and we make the connection, that they were too obsessed with the coming of the Lord. And so the apostle is writing them to tell them, don't be troubled. Don't be soon troubled. This event isn't even close. Don't be soon troubled in mind about this thing because it's yet a long way off. And we have two major events in front of it before it can even come. And that's why we have Second Thessalonians 2. And if I'm at all right in what I just said, it blows preterism right out of the water. It's too bad preterists have not already made up their minds that all Bible prophecies were fulfilled in 70 A.D., or they can learn the gospel of Jesus Christ from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, which tells them that it wasn't in 70 A.D. This epistle was written approximately 53 A.D. There was only 17 years to 70 A.D., and yet the apostle says, don't be soon troubled in mind. Don't worry about that. Go get yourselves jobs. Work diligently on the job like we have shown you how with our own hands. Because the Lord's coming is not at hand. We have two major events to take place in front of it. Regardless of source... Christ's return was not close. Let's read the first couple of verses now. We beseech you, brethren, since I have just told you about the second coming of the Lord in flaming fire and with his mighty angels in chapter 1, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, as I explained in 1 Thessalonians 4 to you, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, don't let some spirit of fear or some spirit of the devil himself deceive you, delude you, or cause you to be worried about this event. Nor by word, don't let anyone tell you that it's about to happen, nor by letter as from us, 
Don't let there be any forged epistles or any other written documents that try to tell you this. No preterist commentaries. Don't let anyone disturb you that the second coming is close, as that the day of Christ is at hand. It is not at hand, so don't let a spirit, don't let anybody telling you, and don't let any written documents, even if they appear to be our epistles, tell you that it's nearby, because it is not. Don't let anyone tell you that it's at hand. It's not at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Do words like that impress you? Let no man deceive you by any means. Does that mean that there might be men who will try to deceive on this point? Will they use all kinds of means to deceive? We should let no man deceive us by any means about this point. The second coming of Christ in 53 AD was still a long way off. It was not in 70 AD. The Thessalonians didn't really care what happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Do you know how little effect it had on them? Do you know how little they even heard about the event? Do you know how long it took the Apostle Paul to make it from Caesarea to Rome? In Acts chapters 27 and 28, how many days was it? A three-day trip? Or was it a number of months, including a whole winter, in which they had to winter in an island? That's a long trip to get over to Rome. It was a thousand miles to Thessalonica from Jerusalem. These people weren't worried about that. They were looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ ascending from heaven with a shout and raising the dead incorruptible. And those things we're looking forward to. And there were rumors that it could happen at any time. And Paul's saying, no. It's not going to happen any time. It's still a long ways off. We've got two large events to take place before it can happen. Now, since we already know what's in Daniel chapter 7, we're very much helped coming into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The preterists are guilty of this deception about timing. Very guilty. For their whole perversion of the gospel is lying deception about timing. And they change that second verse, as I've explained to you, so that it reads this way, verse 2 of Second Thessalonians 2. This is the New King James Version. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ had come. That's a New King James Bible. And it calls itself a King James Bible. Because see, if that verse says, don't be worried that the second coming of Christ has already happened, that allows preterists to teach that it was going to happen in 70 AD. But when it says, it is not at hand, it is not near, it is not soon, and don't be soon about soon. Isn't that that's what it says? Don't be soon about soon. Because it's a long ways off. Then the gospel stands that it has not yet happened yet because Jesus has not descended from heaven visibly, nor has He raised the dead, nor has there been a great day of judgment, nor are there new heavens and a new earth. If Listen, if you think you're resurrected with your glorified body, and these are the new heavens and the new earth, we need to have a talk. And I'll recommend some doctor. He might be able to help you. But really, the, the help is right here in the Bible. Amen. That's just craziness. Craziness. And you know, once you leave the truth of God's Word, God sends strong delusion to believe lies that are otherwise unfathomable, that are believed by men. Look at Pharaoh and the example that we use of him so often and of other men throughout Scripture. Is God the author of confusion? Absolutely. It's taught right here in this passage. 
And how do you get confused by God and deluded by Him? By not receiving the love of the truth and changing His Word. You mess with His Word like they do in those words, and God is going to send you strong delusions. Preterists adore the little mantra at hand. Except here. Because it says the second coming of Jesus Christ is not at hand. That's what verse 2 and 3 are teaching. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3 burns down the preterism's house of cards. Paul lists events that must precede Jesus Christ's coming, which Daniel and he prove are far away. Did you see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in Daniel chapter 7? Was it before or after 476 A.D.? After. When he would cast the Pope and its church and its beast into the lake of fire and the saints would take the kingdom forever and ever and ever? Has that happened yet? No, it hasn't happened yet. And the same events are described right here. Did you see 10,000 times 10,000 in Daniel 7? Where's that number from? The book of Revelation chapter 5? Did you, did you see the Ancient of Days sitting? Is there a judgment seat that we're going to stand before? Did, did you read the books were opened? That's Revelation chapter 20. Wow. A shortened version of Revelation in Daniel 7. But everybody wants to start with Revelation and back into Daniel. <laughs> There's so much wisdom in Daniel. The ten horns. Go read the... I told you this. This is the third time I can still remember how many times I repeat myself. When I can't remember, then we're in trouble. But I can still remember. The horns of Daniel 7, if you read Revelation 12 and 13, Revelation 17 and 18, you're going to find a beast there with ten horns. You're going to find the the crowns on the horns, and sometimes the crowns won't be on the horns. When the crowns are on the horns, is that before or after 476? The crowns are on the horns. That's, that's the crowns on the ten fragments. That's after 476. There's little hints there. And we learned them from Daniel 7. And with Daniel 7's foundation, 2 Thessalonians 2 is pretty easy. Let no man deceive you by any means. And that is my job to keep you from deception. And it's our job together to keep each other from deception. For that day shall not come. There's only one day under consideration here. It's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's identified in verse 1. It has been stated in chapter 1. And it was stated in every chapter of the first epistle. There's only one day under consideration. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. What day? That day. That day that I've been talking about. That day that I mentioned in the six chapters to you Thessalonians that I wrote before this chapter. Five in the first epistle and one in this epistle. That day. The second coming of Jesus Christ, you'd be amazed at what futurists and C.I. Schofield do. They come up with two days because they know the order of events here is not good for their eschatology because their eschatology is Jesus comes first in a secret rapture, then the Antichrist. But this says the Antichrist comes first, then the Lord comes. So they have a day of Christ, a day of Jesus, and a day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at the end of the tribulation. The day of Christ is the rapture at the beginning. And just forget everything I just told you. It's just a waste of mental capacity. 
You know when that little dialog box pops up on your computer and it says, I'm going to delete garbage from your hard drive or garbage, wasted temp- temporary sites that you visited or anything? That's what you need to do right now. Futurists are so ridiculous. And if you read C.I. Schofield's introduction to the second epistle of the Thessalonians, you will understand that he had no respect for the Word of God. Right. I could read you the quote, but we don't have time. It's in the outline that will be coming out shortly. We don't care about the futurists. They're so wrong in this passage. And it's what I grew up believing. It's what I believed till I was about 20 years of age. The restraining powers, the Holy Spirit. When the rapture takes place and all the Christians are snuck out of this world, the Holy Spirit's going to go with them. And the Holy Spirit that's been restraining the man of sin is then going to release him. Wow, that mystery of iniquity has been working for 2,000 years now. And we still don't have a man of sin according to them. And we could go on and on and on. And they don't know how to handle Daniel chapter 7. With Daniel chapter 7, we understand that that little horn that was going to be the real persecutor of the saints of God, that was going to be very proud, that was going to make war against the saints, that was going to change God's doctrine, all of those antichrist type activities couldn't even come into being until after 476 A.D. Because the restraining power was the Roman Empire with emperors or Caesars in the capital city of Rome. When they were taken out of the way by the Visigoths in 476, then the restraining power that kept the Bishop of Rome from being a leader of all of Europe was out of the way. And that little Bishop of Rome became more and more important until he was the Pope. And kings would come to be crowned by the Pope in Rome. And, and one of them is noted in history that he crowned that king with his feet. One king, Charle- I believe it was Charlemagne, you can check me out and I would love you to do so and send me an email. I believe it was Charlemagne had, or, oh boy, let's just say it was Charlemagne. Go check it out. It was a king, had to wait three days outside in the snow until the Pope would even give him audience to crown him as king. You know, he couldn't do that when he was just the Bishop of Rome because there was a competitor in Rome called the Emperor or the Caesar that wasn't going to take competition from some little effeminate man in white pajamas with gold buttons. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. That man in his white pajamas and gold buttons and crucifixes sat on thrones and decreed the deaths of thousands and millions of our ancestors in the faith, and they were killed in every way conceivable. Brother Tim was telling, he himself, saved of the Church of Rome, was telling a group of men at halftime, yeah, they want to have Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to have Super Bowl Sunday. We just had halftime. It's now the third quarter. He was telling men at halftime, about first hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, first hearing about martyrs, first hearing about the Roman Catholic Church, going to Pope Pius XII Memorial Library in the city of St. Louis and looking up to see if he could find out about what the Catholic Church did to martyrs. And guess what? In the Pope Pius XII Memorial Library, he found books about how Catholics had tortured and killed the heretics that would not recant the things that they had said against the Church of Rome. And the one that affected him the most was those heretics, like you and me, that were walled up in big buildings, alive. A cubby hole's made, 
and you're jammed in there, and they lay blocks and seal it with cement, and you just get to die inside a wall. He's thankful to God for being delivered out of that system. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Jesus Christ cannot return the second time except two things happen. Except there come a falling away first. What is a falling away? It's an apostasy. It's a departure from the faith. It's a departure from the truth. It's a falling away from apostolic doctrine. It's described in the Bible. Look at 1 Timothy 4. It was read to you this morning. It's only a few pages over to the right. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, in 53 AD, says, Thessalonians, don't be soon worried about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ cannot come the second time except, first of all, we get a great apostasy away from the truth. Men have been departing from the truth since Jesus was leading the church. And then he turned it over to the apostles. And look at the apostle Paul had to spend so much time against the the Judaizers, the Jewish legalists. Men were departing from the faith. Didn't the apostle Paul write the book of Galatians and say, Who hath bewitched you that you should not believe the truth? But that is not the apostasy. Because the Apostle says this one is yet future. That little thing of Jewish legalism was nothing in comparison to 1.1 billion going around and crossing themselves before they go down a flight of stairs. And 1 million other things that they've invented. And many such like things they do. Except there be a falling away first. First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That means plainly and clearly. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. There's the falling away. It's still future. But now we're up to 60 AD. Because this is Paul writing his last two epistles. His pastoral epistles to Timothy. Look at its future tense. The Spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. There's two doctrines of the departure from the truth. There's two doctrines of the falling away. And the doctrine is no marriage. Now it's not no marriage to everyone. It's no marriage to priests and nuns. Bishops, archbishops, cardinals, and popes. No marriage. And then abstaining from meats. Is there a church that practices fasting A departure from the faith. They were once Christians, but now they fast in a peculiar way of just denying meats on Friday. That's why you got fish sticks up north, Bernie. Remember every Friday we'd see those fish sticks? I know, they were cheap. They weren't good ones either is what he's trying to tell me. And those of you who have operated in a restaurant, you know what they look like during Lent. They won't eat meat. They want a vegetarian pizza instead. And there's a whole, that's a whole other subject of their fasting. But here it is described. So here are two doctrines. Out of the many departures from the faith, the Lord gives us two by the Holy Spirit. And there is a church. There is a little horn. There is a man of sin that is known for those two doctrinal errors along with countless others. But those two are mentioned. And it is the Roman Catholic Church. And for me to be a good minister, and thank you for the prayer, young Jonathan, I should remind you of these things, and I should teach these things to be established in sound doctrine. 
because they have basically gone away. It is not politically correct to preach against Catholics anymore. But we shall preach against Catholics here because they have been sent strong delusion and they have deceived many of God's children. And the Lord Jesus Christ would say to them, Come out of her, my people, that she be not partaker of her plagues. In Revelation 18.4, there's a great falling away. It's future tense to Paul in 60 A.D. So we come over and look at him in 63 to 65 A.D. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, either place. Notice verse 1 of chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. They weren't there yet. And then it goes on to describe this departure from the faith, ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, having a form of godliness, much ceremonialism, ritualism, but little truth, no power of God, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, boasters, blasphemers, covenant breakers, truce breakers. And it goes on and describes all these things. They're like Janus and Jambres, the prophets of Pharaoh in Egypt. And evil seducers shall wax worse and worse in this falling away that's going to take place. But it was still future to Paul. Preterists, you're wrong. The Bible tells us about the falling away. And it's wrong, and it's not little Jewish legalists. That was nothing in comparison to the magnitude of what took place in the 3rd, 2nd, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th centuries, all the way up. To 1954, 1870, 1870, papal infallibility. 1954, the assumption of Mary. What does the assumption of Mary mean? That means Mary's as good as Enoch, and God just took her to heaven. She never died. When was it declared a doctrine dogma of the Catholic Church? 1954. When was papal infallibility declared as a doctrine? It was a practice of the church for centuries. 1870. Changing times and laws. Now that is a departure from the faith. They were once in the faith and they departed from it. This is not some head of the United Nations who was never in the faith, so he's unable to depart from it. This is a Christian imposter, an antichrist, who is under description here as the man of sin. But there's going to be a great falling away. Now they say it's Nero. Well, Nero can't arrive until there's a falling away. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, follow with me please. This is worth something, and there's going to be no plate. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last 10 verses of the chapter, Paul says, He stood before Nero. Nero was the Caesar from 54 to 68 AD. Who do you think he was standing before? President Obama? He stood before Nero, and yet in the same epistle he wrote that the falling away is still future. So how could he be standing before the man of sin if the man of sin is Nero, like the preterists say, when the falling away that leads to the man of sin hadn't even occurred yet because it was still future? Are you able to follow that? The second, that day shall not come. Jesus Christ cannot come unless there's a falling away. Hello, what's the next word? First. First. Then the man of sin be revealed. Then Jesus can come. But if Nero's the man of sin... The Apostle Paul was standing before him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, before he mentions standing before the man of sin, he says this in verse 3, For the time will come, the time will come, the time isn't here, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Is that a falling away? When you turn your ears away from the truth, and be turned unto fables. Is the mass a fable? 
hocus corpus meum. And he turns a cracker into the body, blood, soul, and divinity. That means the deity of Almighty God is in that little cracker. Not in the little cracker. The little cracker has become the deity of Almighty God. And so the leftovers are worshipped. The leftovers are prayed to. The leftovers are kept in the tabernacle on the left wall of a cathedral or a Catholic church. The leftovers are put in a monstrance, which is a public viewing device, so that you can come and look on the little sun, the little sunburst of a little cracker that is the real presence, these are their words, the blessed sacrament, and adore it, which is their doctrine, and that's the words they use, adoring the blessed sacrament. That is a fable. That stuff didn't happen in Paul's lifetime. It was all future. Brethren, preterism is refuted by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because there has to be a falling away. But the falling away is future to Paul. And it didn't originate until centuries later. It was a gradual development. Oh, there's websites dedicated to tracing every Catholic doctrine and giving it a start date. Just type in errors of Roman Catholicism and read for the next week or two. It'll list them all. 300s, 400s, 1200s, just on and on, changing times and laws, which the Catholic Church is dedicated to and the popes are dedicated to. Well, that is the falling away. The changing, the changing of times and laws in Daniel chapter 7 verse 25, the great falling away that is right here, told by Timothy as yet future before he died and after he stood before Nero. The man of sin cannot be Nero. He doesn't fulfill any of this. We've already proven this from Daniel chapter 7, but we might as well just prove it again right now. There had to be a great falling away, and there was, and it's enormous. They turned the gospel of Jesus Christ upside down. To be saved, you need seven sacraments. Seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. The worship of Mary. Prayers for the dead. Prayers to the dead. Have you ever tried, did you try to listen to me one Sunday when I gave you an abbreviated version of the ceremony for baptism in a Catholic church? We got lost after we had chased the devil out the left side door, shoved salt into the mouth of baby, and all these different things that they do. Where did they come up with all that? It is a departure from the truth. A departure from the faith called here a falling away. And it was huge. And it was in conjunction with revealing a man committed to sin. The popes of the Catholic Church. The man of sin is a collective noun. That means it stands for many. Like, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, the man of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Is Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 only for one pastor? Or is it for all Jesus Christ called pastors, but they're represented under one collective noun, the man of sin? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, when it refers to women and says, the woman, is it referring to one woman, or is it referring to women under a collective noun, the woman? Let the woman do this and do that. Women, in general. But this is the man of sin. This is a collective noun for a series of men committed to the sin of the falling away and of the proud look, the stout look 
and the blasphemous words and the changing of times and laws given to us in Daniel chapter 7. And it's given to us as here, here as well, because it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that with all deceivableness of unrighteousness will he work. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The Caesars, Nero included, never had lying wonders or satanic delusions or miracle power. They didn't. They couldn't. They didn't even try. But the popes have always claimed those things. Listen, their biggest miracle of all, they call the mystery of our faith, is when they can turn a cracker into God. That's a pretty big miracle. That's bigger than giving sight to some poor blind man. Big deal. Who cares if you corrected a few lenses and two eyeballs? When you can turn a cracker into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God... I mean, when you can turn the bread into the blood, and when you can turn the blood into the bread, that is just one awesome miracle. Because you're receiving the full body, blood, soul, and divinity under either species in the Catholic Church. Either species means bread or wine. But the wine has to have water added to it. What chapter and book did they get that from? (coughs) The book of second thoughts of some pope. The falling away. The man of sin. He's called the son of perdition. Who else in the Bible was called the son of perdition? Nero? Judas Iscariot. Why is Judas Iscariot raised here with his title? Because just like Judas Iscariot, he professed to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but was a devil. Just like Judas Iscariot. Only a Christian can be in this passage. A professing Christian. Nero and those Caesars were never that. The man of sin had to be revealed first. What does it say about him? This man of sin, this son of perdition that's going to come in conjunction with a falling away, but the falling away is going to occur first. I like it when the Bible helps me. Gives me little words like first so that I can get these things in the right order. What's he like in character and activity? Verse 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Every bit of authority, spiritual and temporal, the Pope has exalted himself above. He has made kings kiss his toes. He has crowned them with his feet. He has made them stand in the snow. He has exalted himself as God on earth. And whenever he feels like it, he overturns the rules and laws and book of God called the Bible by making declarations that are in contradiction to that word. And the Catholic Church is expected to believe and obey him rather than the word of God. And because the Word of God was getting a little too much for him as printing presses became more popular, it was outlawed and a book forbidden to the people of Europe that were under Catholic dominion, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now in that verse right there, the fourth verse is a very important key. I'm going to skip over the rest due to time's sake. The very important key is that the man of sin sits in the temple of God. He sits in the temple of God. Who wrote this epistle? Paul. What is Pauline theology about the temple of God? Was it the Jewish temple? Show me the verse. Or is it the church? It's the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16 2 Corinthians 6.16 1 Timothy 3.15 Ephesians 2.21 Go read them. Pauline theology is that the church is the temple of the living God. Nero never sat in any church. 
Paul would never call by the Holy Spirit a pagan temple the church of, of the temple of God. Are you kidding? That'd be blasphemy. No one has sat in the temple of God. And if they rebuild something in Jerusalem, if they do, if God allows them to rebuild something in Jerusalem, it still is not the temple of God. Because there's only two temples. The church on earth and the bride of Christ in heaven. The celestial city of the new Jerusalem. But notice, he sits in the temple of God. Now, is there a man that Daniel 7 pointed out to us, and 2 Thessalonians 2 is pointing out to us, that in conjunction with the great falling away, sat in a church professing himself to be God? The popes of the Roman Catholic Church. A false church indeed. So false it's called a great whore in Revelation chapter 17. Remember ye not, verse 5, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Why does he talk like that? Why, does, why isn't he plainer? Because he knows how to speak expressly, because we read it in First Timothy 4, but this isn't very express. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Well, why don't you just make it plain? Daniel 7 did. And just like Jesus said in Matthew twenty four fifteen, do you want to know what I'm talking about? Go read Daniel. You've already got the hint. If you'll go back and read Daniel 7, you have no problem understanding what the apostle is talking about and why he speaks obscurely. Because if he were to write, as soon as the Roman Empire is overthrown, then the man of sin can be revealed, then you can start looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. How would that have helped the the political standing of the saints in Thessalonica and everywhere else that that epistle traveled to if it was describing the overthrow of the Roman Empire. Do you know what? If we compare the Bible, and you quizzers are going to learn it next year in the book of Acts, if you go to Acts chapter 17 and find out what the Thessalonian Christians were accused of, they were accused of the crime of of worshiping another king instead of Caesar. Isn't it amazing what we can learn just by comparing Scripture with Scripture? No wonder the Apostle Paul talks this way. Do you think he's going to come right out and say, listen, as soon as the Roman Empire is overthrown, now what would the Roman Empire do to people that are writing about the overthrow of the Roman Empire? Kill them. And so that's why he speaks this way. But we're not in the dark. We know what he's talking about because Daniel 7 helps us. And we don't even hardly need Daniel 7. This is so plain. That there's a great falling away. When was the great falling away that we fell into infant baptism? Baptismal regeneration, baptism by effusion, baptism by aspersion, intrauterine baptism in case you're going to have a miscarriage, blah, 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 ad infinitum, ad nauseum. That was the falling away. And along with that falling away, was there a man dedicated to sin that sits in a church and professes himself to be equal to God and greater than God and that he can overthrow God's word whenever he chooses to declare something from the bishop's seat? What's it called when he speaks from the bishop's seat? Ex-cathedra. A cathedral is a place a bishop resides in or has blessed because it's from the Latin bishop. Ex-cathedra, from the bishop's seat. The Pope is infallible when he speaks from the seat. And what does it say in 2 Thessalonians 2.4? He sits. He sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. These are the Popes of Rome. Verse 7, the mystery of iniquity doth already work, satanic 
influences were already at work in the capital city of the Roman Empire. The Apostle John would write it this way in 1 John 2, 18 and 19. There are many antichrists. Ye have heard that antichrists shall come. Even now are there many antichrists, but they're little ones. They're not the big one. There were already those that were denying the faith of the gospel, but they were only a few. There was not a general falling away as there would be described here. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. There is already the movings in this direction. Only he who now letteth will let. That word let means to hinder, to restrain. Only he who now restraineth or hindereth will restrain or hinder until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. That's the overthrow of the Roman Empire. The emperor is taken out of the way. The bishop of Rome could take his authority as the pope. The Holy Roman Empire deposed kings, set up kings, conspire against kings, raise armies against kings, raise armies against saints, raise inquisitions against saints. Because he couldn't do that while there were Caesars in place and emperors in place and the Roman Empire was still standing in perfect agreement with Daniel chapter 7. And all our fathers believed this. This is not rare. This is not unusual. This is not exceptional. The martyrs believed this. They knew who was killing them. They knew who was burning them at the stake. This is all simple. But let no man deceive you by any means. There is so much deception by preterism. This is Nero and futurism. This is some future Star Wars, United Nation, President of the United States, whatever. It's none of that. It's real. Those are the figments of men's imaginations. They never happened, preterism. It never will happen, futurism. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. He has been consuming him for several hundred years with the preaching of God's word, which is the spirit of his mouth. The words declared by the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles have consumed much of its power, so it no longer has the temporal power that it once had though it is still a huge monstrosity and a diabolical institution of delusion contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ and he'll destroy with the brightness of his coming. Can can you imagine what a preterist has to do with the words right there of how Nero was destroyed with the brightness of his coming? How bright did it get in 68 AD when Nero committed suicide? (laughs) You're supposed to laugh. It's just entertaining to try to read a preterist explain that Nero's committing of suicide because the Praetorian Guard was going to kill him if he didn't kill himself because the whole nation despised him. But he killed himself, and how was he destroyed at the brightness of his coming? But I'll tell you someone who's going to be. He sits on an exalted throne in a gold-covered, encrusted, luxurious, ostentatious, gaudy place that he calls a church. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take the simple little poor babes like you and me, and we're going to be in his right hand. That man's going to be in his left. And every cardinal and archbishop, except maybe, 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 a very few of them that are God's elect in total ignorance, and cast them into the lake of fire. Daniel 7. 2 Thessalonians 2. He'll be destroyed with the brightness of his coming. Did you see the brightness of that coming in Daniel chapter 7? And it's right here. And of course, it's in Revelation 17 and 18 and 19 in particular. 
even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Nero, Vespasian, Titus didn't have any of those things. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, the Catholic Church has lived on false miracles for hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh, they've got statues here and there that drip a tear every now and then. And you know, people will go on a trip just like to Mecca instead of the Muslims going to Mecca to watch the, to look at the fallen meteorite. They want to go to Yugoslavia or to Chicago or some place that has some weeping statue. Haven't you guys ever seen that I, somebody ordered a, come on, it's on the Drudge Report. Somebody ordered a salad at McDonald's. When they sat down and looked at it, it had the image of Jesus Christ in the lettuce. And they'll take a picture of it and Drudge will report it and their Catholics get so excited. It happens all the time. Don't, come on. It happens all the time. All deceivableness. And why would anybody believe such a thing? With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't believe the apostolic instructions to hold fast the things that we have taught you, whether by word or our epistle. And be steadfast, brethren, and don't move. Don't move. They didn't hold fast what they were taught. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Very briefly, for the descriptions Paul wrote about this enemy, they cannot be applied to him, to Nero or to any Caesar. It can only be the popes. So Paul has refuted preterism by this passage, by the falling away which was still future when he stood before their man of sin. It's just beautiful if we'll just follow the Word of God, trust it, humble ourselves before it. The Apostle Paul extends it way out. Now he was doing it primarily for the Thessalonians so that they wouldn't be soon shaken in mind, but he gave us the passage so that we could refute the preterists who tried to tell us the second coming of Jesus Christ happened in 70 A.D. Watch. He could only come after a falling away which was yet future even Nero's last years because Paul described it as still future when he had already appeared before Nero. Now that's just beautiful stuff. I don't, I don't know if you're following me, but I can't, I can't wait any longer. But I will help you in private. Because this is just too wonderful. God has been so merciful to us. Amen. He was the man of sin. Doesn't identify Nero or any other Caesar. They were all sinners. How would that distinguish one Caesar from another? Yeah, Nero was a bad guy by, by the measure of historians. But how does he distinguish himself from the other Caesars that were pretty bad themselves? Right. Not like the Pope of Rome distinguishes himself as a man of sin. One dedicated and committed to sin every day of his life. Every time he crosses himself, thumbs his beads, lifts up his little crooked crucifix with a little hooked tie. And on and on and on and on it goes. Right. He was the son of perdition. A title which Judas cannot apply to a pagan Nero. Can't be one. That's applied to Judas because he was an imposter as a Christian. And so is the Pope. He would sit in the temple of God. Nero nor any other Caesar ever sat in the temple of God. It's so fun to read a commentator that thinks this is Titus trying to explain about sitting in the temple of God. You know the last orders that Titus gave that morning? Don't burn the temple. By the time he got to it, the thing was burning. Now, I'm just trying to envision him on his lawn chair sitting in there with flaming timbers falling in the... No, I don't. I just say, Lord, thank you for the truth. But are you, are you with me when I say that? It's, it's quite hilarious. You say, how do we understand it since we're just little simpletons and you were the greatest underachiever in the history of education? 
so God can get all the glory. That's why. Now there's a reason why I was such a delinquent, juvenile delinquent when I was in school. It's for God to manifest Himself through me. I would not recommend it for anyone seeking wisdom. It's only by God's grace. Right, Dad? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Sorry. But thank you, Lord. That's why. He loves to show it to babes. They can write their monster volumes about it being Nero, and we'll just look here and say, that's impossible. That's impossible. A key, verse 4, temple of God. He sits in the temple of God, which is a church by Pauline theology and ecclesiology and eschatology. It's a church. He would be against God, above God, and like God. As evil as Nero was, he wasn't against God, above God, like God, in a combination of expressions like this one. This man's going to be have a, stout, a look stouter than his fellows, and so is the Pope. He was held back by a withholding power. There wasn't any power holding Nero back. He took the... He became Caesar when he was 17 years old. Is it sound like anything holding him back? He was so young he couldn't even reign himself, so his mother took care of the kingdom for a while. But the popes were held back by the Roman Empire and by the emperors. He would be consumed with the spirit of the Lord's mouth. Nero committed suicide. Gospel had no effect on him. But the gospel has consumed away the power of the Church of Rome. He would be destroyed with the brightness of Christ's coming. Nero died in 68, two years even before the preterist notion of Christ's coming. That's terrible for their math. He died in 1968, the very day is known, because that's considered almost modern history. The Pope still reigned from Rome, and they will be destroyed at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because they are impostors and claim to be Christ on earth. And they will meet the real Christ. And let me tell you, I'll tell you about toes that are going to be kissed because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen even if they're screaming it out while they're cast into hell. He would arise through satanic signs and lying wonders. Nero nor any Caesar had any distinguishable gift or attempt at such, but the miracles the miracles of the Roman Catholic Church are countless. He would take leadership through great deception and delusion. Nero didn't come to power any such way or ever use such means to remain in power. But the popes have created more lies and more far-fetched and unbelievable lies than any other leader of any kind. I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, not only were we saved from that diabolical system of Christianity, of the devil himself, as this passage tells us, but he has revealed it to us so that we can know and defend and teach this body of truth. And I hope that you have understood enough from Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, that you are well established. We may refute preterism this way. The gospel declares it wrong by listing at least four events that are yet future, and they are stupendous, universe-shaking events, and they're still to come. Two, their timing texts prove nothing. As I established before, Daniel 7 refutes preterism, and Second Thessalonians 2 refutes preterism by putting a timing constraint upon it that is way out after 476 A.D. before the prophecies can even get started. And here we are. They used to call them the Dark Ages. What are they called now? The Middle Ages. Everything after the fall of Rome, 476 A.D., to the Reformation used to be called the Dark Ages, even by the world. Why? Because there was no light. Why? Because the popes dominated Europe. 
If you came up with an invention that didn't agree with their theology, like Galileo, you had to recant it. The darkness that covered this earth. The delusions. Thank you, Lord. We've been saved from it. And eight of you in here have been really saved from it. Thank you, Lord, for that. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. May we be established in looking for His coming, loving His coming, and knowing what events are coming to pe- coming soon, and understanding, understanding, brethren, that the falling away is ancient history, that the man of sin in the little horn of Rome is past history. Amen. We are very close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Bible's own events that it's put in place. And the reason He hasn't come today is because he's long suffering to all of us that we would correct and amend our ways as preached by a young, as prayed by a young brother just moments ago. Let's account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation and let's apply ourselves even today to live worthy of the name of the saints of the most high God. In Jesus name. Amen.